for those staying up here that are above the age of children. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I don't need to do anything with the recording, correct? Okay, I'll look here just to be professional. <laughs> Looks good. As we, we dive into uh, this passage, uh, I want to take us back about 21 years ago today. And mankind learned a valuable lesson, at least in, in America, we learned a valuable lesson 20 years, 21 years ago today. We were reminded that life is short and we can't determine the future. Life is short and we can't determine the future. John 3, verse 17, we'll read that before we pray. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to be here. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can open it freely and learn from, from you. Help us as we dive into this text. Just give us wisdom, give us open hearts, and I pray that you would change our lives today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Most everyone, I would say most everyone in this room, loves getting a gift. Can I make that assumption and be fairly accurate with that? Most everyone likes gifts. Uh, some people love gifts more than they like to give gifts. And then we can change that around. Some people like to give more than receive. Um, and... I know in our family around Christmas time, I know it's September, but some of us are already looking at Christmas time. There are a few in my family that would rather give than receive because they like to see the joy on the faces of the ones receiving. Um, but as we think of the Christmas season uh, that is coming up, there's a lot to be thankful for, as also Thanksgiving is coming up. Um, not just the food, I'm thankful for food every day, um, but we, we have a lot to be thankful for. And as we get into our text, we'll see that. But gifts aren't only just for Christmas time, are they? Uh, we give gifts. Some people give gifts on birthdays. Uh, some people just do it because they want to. Uh, you have random sporadic gifts throughout the entire year. Um, and we're going to learn a little bit about a timeless gift that was given to all of mankind. And it's still available today. Nicodemus, early in our passage we read this morning, uh, he learned some valuable lessons from Christ. He was a religious leader, yet um, with all of his religious knowledge, he knew practically nothing about being born again. Now, you would think that having studied the scriptures, having studied who Christ was uh, before he knew who Christ would be, that he would have been able to recognize him and known what he was talking about. Um, but as we saw, Nicodemus, like, how can these things be? Can an old man be born a second time? And no, an old man cannot be physically born a second time, which is why we need a spiritual rebirth. So Jesus confronts him in his lack of knowledge. In verse 10, he says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Man, you've studied all of this Old Testament, you know the law frontwards and backwards, inside and out. 
and you don't know this? And so Jesus in our passage is going to show Nicodemus four things that Nicodemus should have understood, but he didn't. The first thing that I want you to notice from this passage is that God has an immeasurable, unmeasurable gift. Verses 13 through 16. No man hath ascended into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Have you ever had an immeasurable gift before? Like something that you could not measure. Uh, The the definition of the word unmeasurable, uh, according to the dictionary, literally means not measurable. Of a degree, extent, or amount that is incapable of being measured. Uh, So if you got a Lamborghini for Christmas, that'd be pretty, pretty hard to beat. Um, some people, like if you got a TV, that'd be fantastic. Um, but there, there's things that we measure. Every year we measure uh, Christmas. That's one thing that I, I found that when I was doing some research. The average American in 2019, um, if you were to give a number, how much do you think the average American spent in 2019 on Christmas alone? There, there's, a, there's several different guesses. Um, 16,000? 2,000, okay. Uh, Not quite that much, but $846 was the average amount spent on Christmas in 2019. Uh, The average amount in 2020 was $997.73 was spent on other gifts and holiday items, which is a pretty penny, especially when the median salary in 2020 was $1,001, was the median salary before taxes. So, to bring this a little bit closer to home, I love beef jerky. If, many, if nobody knows that, you know it now. I love beef jerky. And if I were to take that $846 spent on Christmas in 2019 and the $997 in 2021, in 2019, I could have bought 105 jumbo bags of beef jerky. 105. Uh, going to 21, I could have bought 124 jumbo bags of beef jerky. That's a lot of beef jerky. That would have lasted me a couple weeks. So, giving in America is a huge deal. But we often forget the purpose of why we give. We place so much emphasis on because they did this for me, I'm going to do this for them. Um, maybe if I do this for them, they'll do something for me. We're, we tend to be selfish. The Americans, well, all Americans, we have a consumer mindset, which isn't bad in certain regards, but like, what can I get? What, what, how can I benefit from this? Let's get for me, get for me. We have a consumer mindset when often we need to have a other's mindset. And hopefully we'll see that mindset this morning. We place so much emphasis on giving and preparing to receive that we forget the greatest gift. Over 2,000 years ago, a seemingly small gift was given to mankind. It was wrapped on a cold evening on a certain day in Bethlehem. Cold evening because any night can be cold. 
and placed in a manger, this seemingly small gift would be unwrapped and displayed on a cross 33 years later and would then be placed in a tomb from where from he would rise three days later. That's the perfect gift. That is the perfect gift. Christ gave the world more than $997 worth of gifts. He gave the world more than a Lamborghini. He gave the world more than even a thousand bags of beef jerky. He gave his life. Christ left heaven a perfect place, absolutely sinless. He left the splendor of heaven and he came to earth for the first time in eternity as a man. And the God the Father and God the Son were separated, physically separated. The divine gift, he could give nothing dearer or greater. Some may excel others in kindness, but God's love is such that, it, it, that in its manifestation, it cannot possibly be exceeded. Christ is his unspeakable gift. He gave his son. That's Christ, the perfect gift that he gave to us. Immeasurable. The gospel is, taking, is Christ taking your sins and mine and placing them on his own body and paying the price for those sins that he did not commit. The gospel is the good news that after Christ paid the price for our sins, he conquered sin and death as he rose from the grave. The gospel is the paved way for mankind to be reunited with God in heaven. <coughs> By grace, through faith, in Christ alone. We can't understand what this gift cost. There's no comprehension that mankind can ever have of giving your only perfect son, because I'm not perfect. You can ask my dad. I'm not perfect. You can ask my sister. And so for me to give my life would be nothing. For, for my, my dad to offer me as a sacrifice, that'd be kind of weird and not ideal. But I wouldn't be able to accomplish anything with that. But Christ, the perfect Son of God, was offered as a sacrifice for your sins and for mine. That's immeasurable. Just the, the, the loss there that the God the Father would have experienced for you and for me. God's gift truly is unmeasurable. He gave it all. But as we move on to the next point, we see that God's grace is unfathomable. He came to die for the sins of the world. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus gives us a comparison here of himself in the Old Testament. He goes all the way back to the book of the law where Moses lifted up that serpent, the brazen serpent in the wilderness for all of Israel to see. And if they had been bitten by one of the, the fiery serpents, they were to look up at that brazen serpent and they would live. What a beautiful picture 
that is, of what is to come. They had the picture of the serpent in the wilderness as a foreshadow of what Christ would do on the cross. And Jesus takes this because Nicodemus understands that picture. He knew they, they needed a savior from those fiery serpents. And so Jesus takes him there so that way he'll realize the Son of Man is doing the same thing. Christ came to be lifted up, and if people look to him for salvation, they will be saved. John records, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This has to happen for people to be saved. And then he gives a promise that whosoever, that's anyone. I was asking my kids on Friday in chapel, uh, does whosoever mean this side of the room? And they're like, what? Who, can, can this side of the room be saved by God's grace? And they're like, yeah. And then I was like, girls, can, can the boys be saved by God's grace? And they're like, I got some no's there. But uh, that's, that's public Christian school for you. But that's God's grace. Christ came to do what man could not. And I'm sure that uh, we've all heard the acronym for the word grace, uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches, what we don't deserve, at the expense of a perfect Christ. David Guzik in his commentary lays out John 3.16 in, I think, a fantastic way that really shows us uh, God's grace. He calls it the seven wonders of John 3.16. Breaking down each part of the verse, God, he calls the almighty authority. So loved the world, the mightiest motive, that he gave his only begotten son the greatest gift, that whosoever the widest welcome, believeth in him the easiest escape, should not perish the divine deliverance, but have everlasting life, the priceless possession. God is, grace is God giving to us what we don't deserve. None of us deserve salvation, but God gave it to us through Christ. We didn't deserve his love, but he gave it to us. And we can see that in Romans 5.8. As we look through history, it's full of God's grace. I mean, even in the events where we don't necessarily see God working. I mean, if you look at World War II is a, one of my favorite times to look back on. But you see God working there. Just the different, the different aspects of that war, you can see this is none other but God working. Secular history books won't show it. And... Even in Christian history books, it doesn't always pinpoint this was God working. But there's no way that God is not working in this world. The hymn writer, Haldor Linnaeus, described grace this way in a, in a familiar hymn. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free. For the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful grace of Jesus reaching the most defiled by its transforming power 
making him or me. If we take that word and make it me. Making me God's dear child. Purchasing peace in heaven for all eternity. And the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. One of my roommates in college had an amazing experience, and I got his permission to share this with you guys. Um, But this is his salvation testimony. As a Bible college student, it is assumed that the student is saved in most cases. In my case, I'm not so sure. At the age of 11, I trusted in Christ's perfect life and his death for my sins. But I had not trusted in the resurrection. I was missing half of the gospel. Last year, the weight of the resurrection hit me hard. Without the resurrection, the follower of Christ has no hope. I had been rejecting it in my heart the whole semester because I did not believe it could be proven. After going through the accounts of the gospels, it was clear that there was no other explanation. Christ had to rise from the dead, and I knew I had to accept it by faith. Once I did, I knew that I was serving a risen Savior. Can you comprehend this grace that is all at the expense of Christ? Without the resurrection, Paul says our faith is vain. We are of all men most miserable. So we have looked at God's unmeasurable gift and God's unfathomable grace, giving us what we don't deserve. So that way we can spend eternity with him. Now let's look at God's unwavering goal. Providing the way. For God sent not his son into the world, verse 17, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Albert Barnes, in his commentary, has a note on this phrase, to condemn the world. He says, man deserved condemnation. It's true, we do. And it would have been right for Christ to have pronounced it. But that's not why Christ came. God was willing that there should be an offer of pardon, and the sentence of condemnation was delayed. I disagree a little bit with this statement, because Christ didn't come to condemn us. We were already condemned. Because of our sin, we were on our way to eternal separation from God in hell. And it's not even eternal separation from God in hell because the psalmist tells us, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave, you're there. It's not eternal separation from God that makes hell so bad. It's eternal separation from the mercy of God. Hell is the eternal wrath of God without Christ standing between God and man. God's full wrath is placed on those who have entered eternity in hell. We are already condemned except for Christ. Christ is the one who stands between us and the Father. When when God looks at us, he sees Christ as those who have believed in his son. 
Christ came on a rescue mission. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That was me. That was you. At least I hope it was you. God sent Christ to save. His destination was the cross for the purpose of bringing all men to himself. The passage goes on to say that everyone who believes is not condemned because they believed in Christ. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those, to them, which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free, hath made us free from the law of sin and death. Those who are in Christ are not condemned. However, those who reject Christ are condemned already. Mankind is self-condemned because of unbelief in Christ as the only way of salvation. We are condemned because of ourselves. John says man is condemned because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is a cause and effect statement. You don't believe. Condemnation. You believe. And the effect is not condemned. This word condemn gives the idea of pronouncing judgment. So for those who do not believe in Christ alone by faith for their salvation, they're on their way to eternal punishment, as we've already said. The good news is, we have the choice. God gives everyone in this room, everyone in this world, the choice to stay condemned or that we can come to Christ and receive salvation. We've seen God's unmeasurable gift, His unfathomable grace, and His unwavering goal to bring all men to Himself. But there's another thing that we need to look at. And uh, this one is entitled God's Unlimited Group. Kind of a word, a word, a weird phrasing there. But what did God do? For God so loved who? The world. It's an unconditional group. God loved the world when we couldn't love him back. Before we would love him, God loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Christ was sent for the world. Christ was going on a global mission to provide a way for all of mankind. Not just just Mr. Lauderdale. Not just Miss Cheryl. Not just Mr. Bud. For all of us. A global mission. The salvation many of us enjoy now would not be possible if it were not for Christ. It would also not be possible if it were not for the ambassadors that God sent. If they didn't follow the command that we see in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Mark 6, 15, 16, and Acts 1, 8, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. If they didn't follow that command we wouldn't be saved today. We wouldn't have the gospel. We wouldn't have the truth 
of scriptures. The pulpit commentary says this, the divine love to the whole of humanity in its condition of supreme need, i.e. the apart from himself and his grace, has been of such a commanding, exhaustless, immeasurable kind that it was equal to any emergency and able to secure for the worst and most degraded for the outcast, the serpent bitten, and the dying a means of unlimited deliverance and uplifting. The divine love is the sublime source of the whole proceeding, and it has been lavished on the world. This world cannot be limited to, the, to a limited world of the Augustinian or Calvinian interpreters, the world of the elect. It is that the whole world of which John speaks in 1 John 2, 2. God will have all men to be saved. The perfect gift is for the entire world, not just for me, not just for you, for everyone. But this also gives us a challenge for those of us who are believers. What are you doing to share this with others? It's a perfect gift that we have received. And if you haven't received it, Will you receive it? We are not guaranteed tomorrow. We aren't guaranteed 20 minutes from now. Not even the next second. Will you accept Christ? But for those of us who do believe, what are we doing with this gift that has been given to us? We work in different locations, I guess you could say even around the world, because this is part of the world. What are you doing with the people that you come in contact with? How are you sharing the gospel with them? Is living among them enough to show them Christ? Or do we need to speak up? The time is short. And we don't know the hour when Jesus is returning and every lost soul that we have contact with, we have a responsibility to share the gospel with them. I have 33 students at school and most of them not very well behaved, but I have the opportunity every day to share the gospel with at least 33 people. What am I doing to share the gospel with them? I've got coworkers I believe them to be saved. But there have been people in ministry, pastors, teachers, who have not been saved. What am I doing to share the gospel with them? The gospel is not just for the unsaved. It's for us. It's a reminder to us, this is what Christ came to do for you. And this is what I need to do. I need to share this with others. If you look at the whole book of Revelation, it's telling you judgment is coming, judgment is coming, and these are the signs that you're looking for. Uh, we call that eschatology, and it's one of my favorite topics to study. But that's, that should propel us. What we know is going to happen should propel us to take the gospel. People should be leaping over our bodies into hell. We should be stopping, doing our best to stop 
people from going to hell. For God so loved the world, shouldn't we have that same love that we'll do anything it takes to keep people from entering eternity without Christ? God has given us a gift. Jesus Christ. He has given us grace. Christ's substitutionary sacrifice for our sins on the cross. And God's goal is this. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. He's not slack. As some people count slackness. But he's patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God desires all mankind to come to him. He has given the invitation, but not everyone has received this invitation yet. What are we doing to spread this invitation? This isn't a closed birthday party that we're being invited to. It's a worldwide event that anyone can come to. The offer is on the table. And it doesn't get any better than to spend eternity with God. People look like, well, heaven's going to be so boring. We're going to be sitting up there on clouds with our harps. and No, we're going to be praising the Lord. And if it's not enough to be up there with God, think of what he did for us. He took all of our sins on himself so that way we could not spend eternity in, in hell but be with him. That's enough right there. If we had nothing else, if we had a wooden shack up there, being with God for eternity, the one who saved our wretched souls, that's enough. There's a, a popular Christmas song, well, it's sung around Christmas. It's entitled, Born to Die. Jesus was born to die upon Calvary. Jesus suffered my sin to forgive. Born to die upon Calvary. He was wounded. That I might live. Now for the unsaved. Because I I don't know your spiritual state this morning. You know, I've heard professions of faith. I know what I've been told. But God sees the heart. You can live a perfect life on the outside and be dead on the inside. That was the Pharisees. They were whitewashed sepulchers. Whitewashed tombs. They looked good. But they were dead. So for those of you who may not know Christ as your Savior, the offer is open. The invitation has been extended. What will you do with Christ, the one who died for your soul? Now for believers, what are you going to do with this gift? Christ was born to die upon Calvary to pay our sin debt. He came to take our place on the cross. Now, that's, that's a reason for us to rejoice. We have a lot to be thankful for, and that should affect our lives. Does it affect our lives? Does it, what Christ did on the cross for you, is that affecting the way you live every day? I mean, as I look back over even this past week, like, hmm, I wasn't thinking about what Christ did for me. I'm not perfect. And every time I mess up, That's a sin against Almighty God. And I have to come back to the cross and say I'm sorry. I don't lose the salvation, but the the relationship has been tainted. 
when when I do something that offends my parents, the relationship is strained. There's there's something that I need to fix. There's something standing between me and my parents. And when I sin against Almighty God, my sins are covered. But I have I have hurt the fellowship. I have damaged the fellowship. And we need to come back and repent. First John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it should affect the way that we live. And if it doesn't, then you need to do a self-check. Am I truly born again? Because it should affect the way we live. For believers, we must do a self-check. We have reason to rejoice and be in awe of Christ. And not just in awe, but we need to take this gift, this perfect gift to the world, our workplace, the people that we come in contact with on the street, people at the gas station. They're pumping right across from you. And there's sometimes some strange and awkward eye contact. Speak up. You have an opportunity there. If we are truly thankful, and we do set set aside time in Thanksgiving to thank God for things, But if we're truly thankful, that's not just a one-day event. That's a 365-and-quarter-day event. We have a lot to be thankful for. But if we are truly thankful, are we going to take this gift to others? Or are we going to hoard it for ourselves and never let Christ use us to share salvation with others? What are you going to do with this gift? Because God's going to hold us accountable for how we use the gift of Christ with the people around us. Father, thank you for your perfect gift. Thank you for your love for us and that you did send Christ to die for our sins. Such a costly gift for unworthy people, wretched, vile sinners, yet you gave your perfect son for our sins, so that way we could be saved. We don't deserve it. I pray that you would help us to be faithful to share this gift with others. We have the responsibility to take the gospel to the world. And you have placed us strategically where you want us. And I pray that we would be faithful to share the gospel where you have placed us. For those who don't know you, I pray that they would see their need for you and that they would come to you before it's too late, because there is coming a day when it will be too late. Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts. In your name I pray. Amen.